Now, everyone knows that Peter blew it. He denied Christ three times the same night. He even reverted to the language of a crusty fisherman and swore like a sailor to convince everyone that he didn't know Jesus. Now, that is so hard to believe. How how could he do it after all he had seen and heard? After confessing that Jesus was the Son of God and pledging his life to him, how could he do it? Now, it is true that he wept bitterly after it was all over, but we're still very disappointed in him. Peter, the spokesman for the disciples, denied his Lord. The others didn't. With the possible exception of one, the others weren't even there. Maybe that's why they didn't deny him. And that may be true of us as well. Some of us have never denied the Lord because we've never been given a chance to deny him. No one has ever questioned us about our relationship to Christ. Maybe we've denied him without saying a word. At least Peter was there. And he put himself into a position where people did ask him about his relationship to Christ. Now, it's true, he blew it. But at least he took the chance. I applaud him for that. And we can learn from his willingness to be there. We, too, will be given a chance for denial if we'll be seen with disciples, mingle with unbelievers, and publicly take a stand. We're in the 18th chapter of John's Gospel. And Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought in Peter. The slave girl, therefore, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. And after the arrest in the garden, Mark tells us the disciples of Jesus all left. They fled him. They disappeared into the night. But apparently, two of them steeled their courage. They crawled out of hiding and followed the mob that had arrested Jesus. One of them was Simon Peter. Who was the other one? Well, several suggestions have been made throughout the years from Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea to Judas, but the majority holds that this unnamed disciple was John, the author of this gospel. You know, John has previously avoided calling himself by name, referring to himself only as the disciple whom Jesus loved, so it makes sense that he would simply refer to himself as another disciple. 
Tradition also supports the belief that John was the other disciple. In fact, it even explains how the high priest would know John, a Galilean fisherman. Tradition tells us that John's father was not only a fisherman, but also a fish merchant who sold salted fish in Jerusalem, and that John had frequently delivered fish to the high priest's residence. Whoever it was, it was a disciple of Jesus and was known to the high priest. And the servant at the gate also knew him because he was admitted entrance into the priest's home. Now, Peter, who had apparently fallen back a bit, was not let in. So John, if it was John, and it probably was, went back to the gate and spoke to the doorkeeper, and Peter was let in. The slave girl then said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Now, a couple of things can be picked up from what she said. First, she apparently knew that John was not only the delivery boy for a fishmonger, but a disciple of Jesus. How he had made that known, we don't know. Maybe she had become a friend. And he told her about Jesus. Or maybe she just heard it through the grapevine. However she knew it, she did know that John was a disciple. And she wondered about this friend of his and asked, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? Are you? Or, or she said, You are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Apparently she didn't think Peter was a disciple. Because she asked the question expecting a negative answer, kind of like trying to sell lemonade on a cold day and asking, you don't want to buy a lemonade, do you? <laughs> she didn't think he was a disciple, so it was very easy for Peter to say, no, I'm not. He hadn't expected to be questioned about his relationship with Jesus. And the question was very casual and even expected a negative answer, so he just said no, figuring that would be the end of it. He could get on with a more important task at hand, you know, finding out what was happening to Jesus. It wasn't calculated deceit. It was spontaneous, and it probably shocked Peter a bit. But he assumed it was no big deal and quickly dismissed it. But as we'll soon see, it did set the stage for a second and even a third denial as well. So yes, Peter blew it. But at least he was willing to be seen with a known disciple of Jesus. And it was his relationship with John that raised the question about a possible relationship with Christ. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever avoided being seen with a known Christian because you didn't want to be seen with them? Kids? Do you hang out with the Christian kids at school? If a Bible study is offered, do you go? Are you in fellowship of Christian athletes? Or do you avoid being around Christians because they aren't the most popular kids at school? 
Do you even let it be known that you've got a commitment on Sunday morning and Sunday night? And adults, what about you? If you've not already been pegged as a religious fanatic at work, are you willing to associate with one? Go to lunch with one? Do you make your Christian obligations known when conflicting plans are being made or opportunities present themselves to work an extra shift on Sunday? And after COVID, I do have to ask, is it still a priority to actually meet together with your church family? Hebrews 10.25 admonishes us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because in doing so we encourage one another to love and good deeds. And it's not only hard to encourage one another while watching a church service at home, the neighbors may no longer give any thought as to why you find it important to leave the house on Sunday morning. You know, we'll probably never be given a chance for denial, or a positive witness for that matter, if we're not seen with known disciples. Nor will a chance ever come if we don't mingle with unbelievers. Now, the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. They said, therefore, to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. We're not told where John was. Perhaps he was actually in the room where Jesus was being questioned by Annas. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. He does tell us where Peter was. It was a cold night. And the household servants and soldiers were warming themselves by a charcoal fire. And Peter was there with them. Now, one commentator has suggested that Peter got into trouble because he was warming himself by the enemy's fire. He gives the impression that Peter shouldn't have been there. And if he hadn't been there, he probably wouldn't have denied Jesus that second time. If he had stayed in the shadows, no one would have known he was around. And no one would have asked him about his relationship with Christ. But he was there, mingling with unbelievers. And that's when, according to Mark, the servant girl brought up his possible connection to Jesus with the bystanders, which led to someone asking, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? Again, the question was phrased in such a way that a negative answer was expected. And Peter found himself giving the expected answer, no. How easy it is to say what others want us to say. How easy it is to go along with the crowd, to let opportunities for witness slide by, to deny our Lord. 
But then again, if we're never with unbelievers, we'll never be given that opportunity. Now, we do have to be careful, and there are limits. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that we are not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this is most often applied to marriage, and Christians are instructed to marry only in the Lord. But a Christian should never be yoked together, so bound together with anyone that he is not or does not feel he is free to obey Christ. But Jesus did tell us we're to be salt and light in the world, and we can't do that if we avoid all contact with those in the world. We're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to withdraw from the world. And although Peter warned us that bad company can corrupt good morals, he also made it clear that we must still associate with immoral people. When he told the Corinthians to cut off relationships with an immoral man, they misunderstood. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person. We cannot and should not try to avoid contact with unbelievers. They will never become believers if believers avoid them. And over the years, through attending falconry meets, shooting pistols and shotguns, and working out at the fit club, I become well acquainted with numerous unbelievers who enjoyed the same things I enjoy. I don't know if I was ever responsible for any actually coming to the Lord, but when given the chance, I did share my faith and try to plant seed. The disciples who didn't follow Jesus into the high priest court didn't get that chance because they were afraid of being seen there. They didn't deny Jesus, but neither were they given the opportunity to share their faith with anyone. If we are going to witness for Christ, we're going to have to mingle with those who need to hear about him. We might blow it and even buckle under the pressure but we've been commissioned to make disciples in the world, and we cannot do that if we hide from the world. Unless we risk denial, we'll never witness to anyone. And we should probably even risk taking a public stand. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter therefore denied it again, and immediately a cock crowed. 
Now, John is kind to Peter here. He doesn't tell of his swearing to convince everyone he wasn't a disciple. He simply says, Peter denied it again, and immediately a cock crowed. He doesn't tell us of Jesus' glance at that moment either, a glance that cut Peter to the heart and sent him out of the courtyard, weeping bitterly. He simply says, Peter therefore denied it again. But what was it exactly that he denied? He denied being in the garden with Jesus. And why was he asked about it? Because he had made quite a scene in the garden and was therefore remembered. He had drawn his sword and sliced off the ear of one of the high priest's slaves. A relative of that slave was now confronting him, and he was pretty sure it was Peter who had done it. His question is phrased in such a way to indicate that he expected an affirmative answer. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Can't you hear him saying something like, I know you. You're the one who cut off Malchus's ear, aren't you? By now, Peter had grown accustomed to denying his relationship to Christ, so it was easy to fall into the trap of doing it again even if it meant having to convince someone they were wrong. The other two times, he gave the answer that was expected. This time, he had to convince them that he was no disciple of Jesus. So he resorted to unchristlike behavior in an attempt to avoid detection. He'd fallen pretty far. You can't deny that. However, if he hadn't taken the stand he had taken back in the garden, no one would have even noticed that he'd been there. He could have remained a member of the silent majority, and no one would have been the wiser. He wouldn't have been remembered. He wouldn't have been given a chance for denial. Of course, neither would he have been given a chance to confess his relationship to Christ. You know, most would agree that the best way to share your faith is in response to questions asked about it. No one will accuse you of being pushy if they ask the questions and you simply respond to their questions. But we've got to do something to make them ask the questions. Now, slicing off a servant's ear may not be the best thing to do. But we better think of some way to make our devotion to Christ obvious. If we're not willing to publicly take a stand in defense of Christ and Christ-like standards, we're probably not going to be given a chance to deny him because no one is going to have a reason to even think that we know him. Yes, Peter blew it. He denied Christ three times in one night. But at least he was willing 
to take the chance. He was willing to be seen with disciples. He was willing to mingle with unbelievers. And he was willing to publicly take a stand. I pray we are worthy and willing to do the same. Are ye able, said the master, to be crucified with me? Now, Peter had answered yes, and he did mean it. He stumbled a time or two, but he made it all the way to a cross. How far are we willing? 